Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Start one game. I'm going to go first, Mark. I'm going to Proceed. go first. So uh, you may know that in the world of, uh, of club DJs, it's, it's because it's an international business, uh, they often find it's helpful to, to abandon their kind of uh, their given name and to adopt something that's a little bit more, little bit more catchy and simple and lodges in the head of somebody who possibly doesn't speak the same language as they do. This is a trait that they share with household cleaning products. Okay. So you simply have to tell me are the following club DJs or household products. That's so funny. Are you ready? Dyro. Dyro. (laughs) Club club DJ or household cleaning products. Club DJ or household cleaning products. Dyro. I'm going to say it's a DJ. It sounds like it could be sort of in the diner rod area, doesn't it? No, I don't know. It's it's a a DJ, a DJ. Yes, it is. It's Jordi Jordi Van Egmond, who's uh, who's Dutch, is known professionally as Dyro, a Dutch DJ and EDM uh, producer. Okay, Kazo, Kazo, K-A-Y-Z-O. Is that a club DJ or a household cleaning that's product. a that's a corrosive bathroom cleaner, I reckon. No, it's not. It's an American DJ and producer based in Los Angeles, California, best known for remixing songs and incorporating <laughs> trap and hard style hard style genres into his remixes. Okay, here we go. Silvo, Silvo Club DJ. Silvo, I'm afraid to say I know that what Silvo is because we have a can <laughs> of it downstairs. <laughs> It's for buffing up silver. No, I have to say that we have very much silver to buff up, but there it is, silver. That would be a great you DJ's mean, name. DJ Silvo. It works. Go on. DJ Silvo, sadly, you're quite right. It contains no harsh abrasives, mercuries, or acids. <laughs> okay. Uh, Nervo. Nervo. Nervo's got to be, uh, that's got to be a DJ, isn't it? Nervo, I would have thought. Yeah, it's an Australian DJ duo comprising yeah. twin sisters, Olivia yeah, and very relaxed. Nervo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Fabulosa. Fabulosa. Club DJ or household cleaning product? Fabulosa. That's so brilliant. God. I, I can almost get the fragrant scent of fabric conditioner. Um, I'm going to say it's a cleaning product. It's a vibrantly coloured range of household disinfectants available in a choice of uplifting fragrances, <laughs> bottle types and sizes. Uh, this is so funny. Chucky, 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 Chucky. Club DJ or household cleaning product? God, that sounds European, doesn't it? It's sort of those bizarre names that they give chocolate bars, isn't it, on the continent? I, I'm saying, actually, I'm saying it's a DJ, Chucky, DJ Chucky. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, uh, he has also helped develop a style of music known as Dirty Dutch, a genre characterised by high-pitched lead synths over Latin-inspired rhythms and samples. <laughs> uh I've learned about, so much. Now, where do you stand? 
How about Kill Rock? Kill Rock, Club DJ. Oh, I have some cleaning product. Kill Rock. That's a tricky question. Kill Rock. It doesn't sound warm and inviting enough to be a DJ running some kind of rave palace in uh, in Mallorca. So I'm going for cleaning product. Yes, it's been descaling Britain's appliances since <laughs> 1946. <laughs> So there is no DJ Kilrock. I'm mortified. These are so good, though. Where do you about, get ideas? It's so how do you, how about Eptic? Eptic. Eptic. How's that cleaning product or club DJ? That's got to be a cleaning Eptic. product. It sounds, something like, it sounds a little bit like a septic tank, doesn't it? Eptic, I think Eptic is a cleaning product. No, it's not. It's a Belgian DJ and producer. Most right. known for his expert play, Eptic. Overlord. Uh, Osmo. Osmo. O-Z-M-O. Osmo Club DJ, or household cleaning product. Osmo. Osmo. Okay. I would have thought you had two or three heaped tablespoons of Osmo to uh, <laughs> a bucket of warm water and get a mop, then your kitchen floor will be absolutely transformed. So I'm going for that. Cleaning product. Yeah, see, so it describes mopping technology, which oh, utilizes right. an innovative electronic water pump and reservoir that evenly <laughs> applies water when mopping. <laughs> Uh, what have oh, we got left? Christ, this is brilliant. Okay, Moti. Moti. Moti, I'm DJ. saying, is a DJ. I see Moti. He's a, he's a little guy with uh, huge <laughs> glasses like the bottom of old milk bottles and uh, quite uh, nerdy. And it's deep end techno. Moti. Yeah, he incorporates diverse genres such as electro house, progressive house, hip hop, and others. He cited artists such as Jimi Hendrix. Alter Ego and Derek May as musical inspirations. I'm going to leave you with one. Blue. B-L-O-O. Blue. Blue sounds like one of those kind of deeply suspicious ocean poisoning chemicals that you pour into a <laughs> toilet. So <laughs> I'm going for that. What is it? Uh, yeah, it's the expert in toilet cleaning. Provides oh, it is. <laughs> provides multiple innovative solutions to make your life easier when it comes to toilet cleanliness and that is, I, Where did you get the idea? That is a brilliant idea, Dave. That's well, so it funny. didn't get me very far, did it? I didn't win. You know, no, I don't think you, you won, but that was extremely good. <laughs> extremely good. Well, look, I'm going to try this from a, 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 an original idea from Word Massive member Andrew Slattery. Now, early Queen... Oh, right, OK. Oh, good grief. Early Queen lyrics, as you, of course, of all people will know, are obsessed with science fiction and, and uh, science fantasy. So I'm oh, talking about chisel-jawed knights. Yes. <laughs> chisel-jawed knights duking it out with fire-breathing monsters, thunderbolts from the clouds, winged messengers, pre-Raphaelite maidens tied to a tree. Right? Are we? Am right. I, am I painting right. the kind of picture? So yeah, a lot of their songs sound precisely like Game of Thrones scripts. So your oh. challenge, should you choose to accept it, are you prepared to play Queen Track or Fantasy Novel by the man who wrote Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin? Oh, well, I was right. going to have to play. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right, okay. Number one, A Clash of Kings. Song by Queen or whiz-bang work of fiction by George R. R. Martin. A Clash oh. of Kings. Oh, oh. I'm going to say uh, George... Uh, George Martin. You are absolutely right. It's the 1998 novel, Seven Kingdoms of Westeros in Civil War. Okay, you Dragon see, Attack. King... Yeah. Dragon Attack. Dragon Attack. Okay. I'm going to say George Martin again. No, no. Dragon, Dragon Attack is a queen track from the game in 1980. A choice couplet. <laughs> I looked it up. She got a dragon on my back. Hey, it's a dragon attack. <laughs> Don't you love that idea? Oh, Lord Frederick sitting there scribbling <laughs> away with his slightly blunt HB pencil. <laughs> Actually, this is 1980s, so it's not like even really that early. It's quite interesting. I thought it was really the early stuff. But anyway, dragon attack. Okay. I've the princess. Written, new... Imagine turning up at rehearsals. I've written a new one called Dragon Attack. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, the heart sings. <laughs> There's plenty more where that came from. I know. The princess and the queen. Is that a Queen track or is that a George R. R. Martin novella? It's Queen. It's not. No, no, no. It's a 2013 science fiction novella, novella chronicling the continent-burning continent warfare that explodes between Princess 
Rhaenyra Targaryen and her stepmother, Queen Alicent. So this is making me can, ache. This is, this is making you can't me wait to, to read watch it. Game of Thrones. <laughs> you can't <laughs> wait to read it. This is fantastic. All right, here's another. Escape from the Swamp. Escape from the Swamp. Queen. It is Queen. It's from Flash Gordon. I've got to remind me that they did actually do an entire soundtrack to, their, to, a, to a fantasy film. Bla- Flash, Flash Gordon Flash in 1980. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Escape yeah, from the Swamp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great King Rat. Great King Rat. Oh, Queen. It's Queen. No? It is. Yeah, it is from 1973. Right. Yes, he was the son of a whore, always wanted by the law. <laughs> what? Why is it so funny just quoting couplets from songs? <laughs> it just seems, isn't it? Anyway, A Storm of Swords. A Storm of Swords. Is that a Martin novel or is that, uh, is that a Queen track? That's got to be George Martin. That is. It's Joffrey Baratheon and his uncle Stannis Baratheon. Compete for the Iron Throne, it says here. Okay, <laughs> a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. Oh, uh, uh, George Martin. It is. It takes place entirely in Winterfell and is dedicated to the build-up before the battle between the living and the dead. You can't wait to read it, can you? <laughs> okay, two to go. The March of the Black Queen. Queen. It is. That's Queen. Queen from Queen 2 in 1974. Five foe, the Black Queen, marching single file. I mean, just again, how would you have kept a straight face when Lord Frederick came up with his lyric sheet? I don't know, really. Are we being unkind? No, not really. The Sons of the Dragon, last one is The Sons of the Dragon, novella or Queen Track? Queen Track. It, uh, no, it's no, it's a novella. 2017, set in the fictional land of Westeros. There we go. I think you probably win that actually, Dave. I'll, I'll give oh, it to you. Dear. Very oh, good well. work indeed. Thank you. That's so brilliant. Where did you get the idea? That's so fantastic. I don't know where you see. How did you come across that? Were you looking at a load of household projects and you thought, I see those people as, as, <laughs> yeah, as being I, in shoom? I, I tell you, I very often think, yeah, there's got to be loads of club DJs with names that finish in O, and therefore there will be loads of cleaning products. That yeah, 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 Blanco. That's right. Uh, yeah, and yeah. then you and then you have to go and troll through a, load, a long list of yeah. club DJs, and then you find something, and then you... You know, it's it's uh, hard work. It's, it is. It's not easy. People may think doing, doing the Stackwaddy game just you know we tumble out of bed on Sunday morning, full of ideas, dot them down a pe- on a pet paper. Not true. We no, work I, on them during the week, don't we? I have a oh, file no. of ones that are uh, nearing completion. But you kind oh, of think really? I've almost made it. I've almost made it, but it doesn't quite hang together. I can doesn't feel. Quite. No, you just—it's got to—it's got to work in terms of the way you you explained it at the beginning. You have to say yeah. these are always like this, and so are these. So yeah. which are which? And if it doesn't—if you can't yes. get that kind of explanation, it doesn't quite work. But look, I tell you what's been no, occupying no. me this morning: digging yeah. up old oh, records. What? Yeah, you've got the first animals LP. Is that mono copy? That is, uh, is that a the, no, it's a Starline star reissue. It's Starline, so Starline EMI. So I think it's probably a reissue. Yeah, Regal, so that's the first the one. Regal label. Has it yeah. got? Has it got? Read the tracks because we're talking about this. Because Hilton Valentine, who was the guitarist in the Animals, uh, died. He, oh, his death was announced yesterday. Death announced yesterday. Seven. This is nearly all. There's nearly all Chuck Berry and Johnny Hooker songs. You know, Story of Bo Diddley by. Very good, and obviously, Bury My Body. Dimples, by it's a hooker song. Dimples, of course. I've been around, I'm in love again. The girl can't help it. I'm mad again. She said, yeah. Has it got Clubber Go-Go on it? No, it hasn't, no. Um, around and Around by Chuck Berry. 1964, great. Look at that great sleeve. It's a fantastic sleeve. Uh, well, you see, that's, hold that up. That's a kind of classic thing. When in my uh, in my in my book Overpaid Over Sex and Over There, it's about British groups in America. I, I I write a chapter about the animals actually, who were who were rather slightly unfortunate. They arrived in America. I mean, were very big hits in America, uh, but they they arrived when the kind of shine had gone off. Beatlemania, you know, bands arriving from Britain in into New York, or, you know. The police no longer wanted to have a load of screaming girls at the airport and so forth. So they couldn't do that. And so the animals were, were never quite treated with the dignity, dignity they deserved. Made worse by the fact, hold up that cover again, Mark. Hold up that cover. Made worse by the fact that they were called 
the animals. Therefore, Johnny Presque photographer sent to take a picture of them, always said the same thing to them. Just come and stand behind those bars over there, will you, chaps, for a moment. Or uh, or get down, or even worse, get down on your hands and knees and growl and, and, uh, you know... And the worst thing is, they did. (laughs) And they did. (laughs) And they never quite recovered. Even to the extent that even quite a few years later, I think possibly, was it late 66 or whatever, they were still appearing in animal costumes on a TV spectacular starring Liza Minnelli, you know, which is stuff the Rolling Stones would not have done it. You know, the Beatles would never have been asked to do it by that point. But the animals... Always, always had that didn't, problem. That didn't uh, tally with the kind of gritty, uh, uh, you know, northern R and B that they were playing, which was a completely different old blues and R and B. You know, it's it, it just that. Well, they're, they're, I think they're an amazing group, actually. In the and the first group I ever saw live properly, I saw them at the. That's right. You saw Bradford, Chuck Berry, didn't you? Bradford Gomont or Alhambra, I can't remember which one. Gomont probably. Yeah, uh, supporting Chuck Berry. And they, they just did what people did on a package tour in those days, which was like four or five numbers. And um, and the last one they had to tell us was going to be quite long, <laughs> which meant it was about four minutes. And it was so House of the Rising Sun. <laughs> yeah. It was House of the Rising Sun, which they just started to you know, incorporate into their act at that point. And, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting because all, all their first records, you know, Baby Let Me Take You Home, that's a song that Bob Dylan did on his first record, yeah, isn't did. it? I think yeah. it was. House of the Rising Sun. Bob Dylan had done on his first record, I think. I think Is that right? He and did, then yeah. they did uh, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. I think I'm Crying, they possibly wrote themselves, I'm not sure. But most of them, point is, most of them were American songs. And then later on, we got to get out of this place and it's my life which kind of brill building songs. And the fascinating thing about the animals to me was they did those things so much better than the Americans did them. And they were all American songs. Which is they're the irony because they were big hits in America, from, weren't they? So they're, they're, they're and they were huge they imported in their own songs played by a bunch of Geordies. And because uh, there was just something about them that really worked. I mean, they, boy, they were good. And they were produced by Mickey Most in those early days, you know. Mickey and nobody knew better than Mickey Most what made a hit single, um, which is how come House of the Rising Sun, which on the face of it would have been a very unlikely hit single, was it was number one all over and and recorded in one one take, wasn't it? Didn't they come down to London and just do that? They, they broke off the, the tour. That I saw them. They came down, they went, they arrived, yeah, they broke off the tour to go to and record it in in a studio in Kingsway near Hoban. And um, and the story goes that they arrived at Euston and they commandeered a trolley or something from Porter to wheeled take all it. their equipment, wheeled it down the road to Kingsway into the studio, made the record, first take or second take or whatever, Back up to Houston, back on the train, back on the tour. resume, resume uh, one nighter. Yeah. But I mean, it's an astonishing record. Oh, Still, if you were if you were my age, I mean, you know, the, when you were trying to play the guitar in the mid sixties, <laughs> the first thing anybody learned was trying to play that arpeggio opening to with the Hilton Valentine part to the House of the Rising Sun. You know, it's up there with Which you we- know Bert Jansch, Bert Jansch's uh, Angie and uh, you know later on Stairway to Heaven and you know those kind of and Johnny Be Good those things that any guitarist had to play. So I hear that and it's the most memorable. It's absolutely tattooed on my memory. That that wonderful yeah. opening. It's incredible. And uh, and the Alan Price you know organ solo because. Because what that record kind of foreshadows, although clearly nobody thought at the time, was kind of prog. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was it was the idea that that kind of instrumental, you know, um, prowess could be a part of pop music. Yeah, which had never been before at all. And I, I, I do think it's it's a genuinely astonishing record. Still, it's it's a perfect record. And Eric Burns, you know, he's a fantastic singer. And uh, and they never they never to me they never really sound as if they're trying to be kind of blackface about it. Not know? at all. 
they, it all sounds it sounds jaudy to me in yeah. an odd way. Um, no, I think they're a fantastic group, and he was uh, he was he was a part, you know, a key part of them. He was the kind of the local guitar hero in um, in Newcastle that they got on board when when what was the Alan Price combo, as it was. Well, it began with Chas Chandler and, uh, and Eric Burden. He was the, he was the guy that got in, and then they got John Steele on the, on the drums. And and they were, they you know they they were really big for for two or three years, but terribly appallingly managed. And uh, and I don't really think they made any money. Well, there were not, a lot of those not anyway. But he was still no. playing. I mean, you know, I, I, I look, and he was still he's still touring with with Eric Burden. I think in 2017, I mean, they they got back together and did some. Odd, uh, you know, the few dates. Did I ever tell you about seeing John Otway do House of the Rising Sun? No, he does this absolutely hilarious call and response version, whether it's depending on the crowd interaction. So it goes, uh, there is what a house <laughs> where in New Orleans. What's it called? It's called the Rising Sun. And what's it been? It's been the ruin. Of many a poor boy. How do you know? Because I know. I'm one. <laughs> the best the second verse goes and says, so there's a, there's a, so what's the only thing a gambler needs? The only thing a gambler needs is a suitcase and a trunk. That's two things. <laughs> Such a brilliant idea. And the, the crowd, I know you've ever seen this once, but obviously it's a standard part of his act. <laughs> <laughs> I just now the opening is just so funny. There is what a house where in New Orleans. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Did you see that um, tweet? Absolutely sweet uh, thread that was put up by Peter Robinson. You know the the mm-hmm. writer and the guy behind Pop Justice put up this absolutely wonderful thread about his relationship with with the KLF and how when he was a kid, he was about 10 or whatever, he discovered the KLF and was absolutely obsessed with them. And uh, he used to write to them and they'd write back. And then at school, he would ring up in his lunch breaks, he'd ring up uh, the press officer, who he says was a guy called Mick, which must have called me Mick Houghton, who's been on Mick our podcast many times. And Mick and Pam, and how, how kind Mick was. And he would put up with his 10-year-old boy on the phone and occasionally send him white labels and photos and information about the group. You know, really sweet. And then eventually, um, Peter Robinson's mum writes to the group, to their PO box number, and says, look, here's a, I've enclosed a birthday card that I would love you to sign so you could send it to him on his birthday, you know. And he got to the point, and they replied with a load of merchandise and music and white labels and the Ford Time Lords tax disc, which was their famous car, which they just got rid of, you know. And uh, this kind of escalated to the point where, you know, they would occasionally ring him up at home. He said he would come back and um, he'd find his dad on the phone and say, just talking to Bill Drummond, your friend, you know. You think, this is so sweet. This is an 11 year old boy. so funny, a rock star ringing up and bothering a small boy. That's such a wonderful... I know, it really is. Versus the other way around, oh, exactly. Yeah, no. he, I've told you he's not in. He's not in. He's not in. He got the wrong number, you know. But anyway, when he was 13, on his 13th birthday, they said, oh, it's your, it's your birthday. He said, well, come to London. Well, we're going to be on top of the pops. They were doing, I think they're doing 3 a.m. Eternal, which is why he's treated this, actually, because it's it's 30-year anniversary from this being here. And he went up to the top of the pops, and he was there all day watching them recording at Top of the Pops. And his dad wandered around uh, TV centre and uh, who'd driven him up and looked after him all day. And at the end of it, it said, uh, County gave him his, his his home number in case he should ever need it. You know, it's just such a touching story. Oh. And then eventually the group split up and he was so devastated that they split up that he, he must have been in his mid-teens by then. He produced a fanzine about them and sent it off to various people. And Steve Wright got a copy of this and uh, talked about it on his radio programme. And even gave um, Peter Robertson's home address and saying, write to this guy and you'll get, uh, you know, he can send you a copy. And, and hundreds of, of copies of the of the fanzine were sent out. And that was, that's really, and that's how his career started. You know, he started this fanzine and then became a writer and and he's now pop justice. Entirely because of his relationship. We ought to get him on the wedding erratic, didn't we? 
We should. That's a really good idea. That's a brilliant idea. Actually, perfect. we've never had a surprise. We never thought of him before. Right? No, we, we must. Really Absolutely. But I thought that was really touching because there's a bit in Pete, when Pete Perfides was on, they told the story about him meeting the Baron Knight, which of course is the completely the reverse situation, <laughs> who were his favourite group, and they couldn't be more disinterested. And you know, and uh, there they were, these terrible old blokes drinking pints out of dimple mugs, you know, and uh, not not remotely interested in him, and, and barely making eye contact with his scientist records as if it was a complete chore. I thought it was quite funny, and also reminded me of the of you and I seeing the KI. Do you remember we went to see them at, um, we saw their famous Brits performance where they machine gunned the crowd, the dead sheep. Uh, oh, occasion. God. That was the Brits thing. Uh, the Hammersmith, I still call it Odeon, and will forevermore, um, where they started the show with with uh, with this extreme noise terror. Was it was. There. was. That's right, yeah, it was. One of, one of their brand extensions. Um it was simply the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. It was terrifyingly loud. I don't know how they got round whatever limiters had been put on it. For, well, it wasn't live TV, was it? People it, ran. It, it in fact, there was a guy, who was the composer? The classical music. Sir George, no, Sir George Sholte, the great That's conductor, right. who was there to pick up his award for the classical recording of the year. He literally, I saw him go past me. I was sitting on the aisle. He got he up and he ran out towards the end, yeah. holding with fingers in his ears. And I'm yeah. not surprised. No, I'm it not was surprised. it could have damaged anybody's hearing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And uh, and his was obviously more precious than most. Um, it was the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, because that was that was right in the uh, the uh, the zenith of that whole period where you had to cause a sensation on the Brits somehow, didn't you? Yeah. You know, that's what it was all about. You had to either pour water over a cabinet minister or, you know, deposit a dead sheep in the in the vestibule of the Dorchester or whatever it is that KLF did on that. Yeah, you had to, you had to uh, loudly announce your distaste and disapproval of the whole thing while, while doing agreeing <laughs> to appear and get all the publicity. So it's a, it's a win, <laughs> cake and easy two situation. Yeah, absolutely, cake and easy. The other thing I remember about the KLF was the Jura uh, episode. I remember talking to... Uh, the great Robert Sandal and uh, Adrian Devoy, who were writing for, for Q at the time, about going to the, to the cash, the one million pound cash burning thing. And how they all, do you remember that? When they supposedly burnt a million pounds? And they gave her on these bricks of cash in 50 pound notes. And of course, all these journalists were just stuffing these down inside their, their, their back pockets, inside their shirts. Why would you, you know, when told to burn a great lump of 50 pounds? So if, some, if somebody told you, like, I mean, leave the KLF out of this, Mark. If somebody told you to burn a brick of 50 pound notes, would you do it? No, you wouldn't. Not in a million. Years. I wouldn't do it. No, you couldn't bear it. All the other things <laughs> that can be done with it. Exactly. Well, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't do it. I oh, know. But uh, so the the truth that I always felt when I talked to people who were involved in that, and I never felt I got the truth out of anybody. Really, it was one of those things, you know, that the 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 actual truth will never be known. No, about. no, no. And Mick Houghton, who we're talking about, actually wrote a book about it. He, even he didn't really reveal quite what happened. But look, another anniversary, I note, uh, 40 years ago, was the release of Face Value by Phil Collins. And it, oh, go right here. Here. you've got it there. Yeah, we were talking about it. Yesterday. There it yeah. is. Yeah, oh, it's never great. too far away. This what a record. great record. It's a really good record. And it and made me just think that Phil Collins had a rough ride, hasn't he? He's had a rough ride. Well, he, he had a rough, a, a rough old ride in 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 first class, though, didn't he? Really, that's you true. Know, no, there's been some cash in the bank. There must be because I think he gave his third God. wife forty six million pounds, oh. uh, despite the fact he discovered that she'd secretly married somebody else. I mean, it's just oh, awful. It's and the great episode about him, uh, about about the, I think it was the first wife who went off with the the interior decorator. Do you remember when he appeared on top of the pops with a with a can of paint and a paintbrush on his piano? Suppose he has a coded message to her, but no, God, he's it's, had some terrible luck. Uh, he, he, well, there was a long period where he was the kind of the the immediate butt of all kinds of jokes from he was. Uh, from comedians on panel shows. You know, just looking around for somebody to have a go. Yeah, at. yeah. You know, it was later on. Later on, it was James Blunt, and I don't know who it is now. You know what I mean? There's always just somebody that that. Um, 
that you never lose points by having a go at, really. Um, it's been sting for a while, Collins was, Yeah. It was. It, it was. was there's a certain people and, that's just a whipping post. And so I was looking at this record, and I tell you what the great track on this record is. It's the first track on the second side, because you know, this is a record with sides, obviously, is I Missed Again, which is just a fantastic kind of pop funk song. It's wonderful. And and I couldn't help looking here on the sleeve. It's got, you know, the, the little, all the old Polaroids of everybody yeah, in the yeah. studio, including his, his small children at the time, Simon and Jolie. And uh, Simon now looks pretty much like Dad looked at the time of this, uh, yeah. you know, and, and leads a band. And Jolie is a, is a, an actress in her forties who has an eight year old. So so Jolie has a child about the age that Jolie was on the yeah, cover yeah. of this record, which is one of those things that makes you think about the passing of time. But uh, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, I still I, love I, it. I still love these records. Oh, they're really good. The, oh, the drumming on them is much sampled. But I interviewed him about, must have been about five or six years ago, and I'd forgotten various things. You know, you were talking about his, his showbiz brat, you know, Artful Dodger, yeah. the Artful Dodger. As well, that's why all these, kids, all these kids, all these kids are actors because his yeah. mother was a, his mother ran um, an agency. She did, didn't she? Absolutely. That's right, why yeah. he was always said to be one of the children in the opening um, crowd scene of Hard Day's Night. Well, he was, but As he claims he was edited out of it. Actually, he said he says he can't see himself uh, in the final film. But he told me this other story, which I absolutely loved. When he was, I don't know how old would he have been? About this was nineteen seventy. Uh, 17, he'd been about 19, I think. He got a call just before he joined um, Genesis, and he was in a group called Hickory, and then there was a group, I think, called uh, Flaming Youth, I think it was. And yeah, Ringo, yeah. somehow he knew Ringo Starr's chauffeur. And George Harrison just started <laughs> making, with Phil Spector, that's how showbiz works, all contacts, uh, with Phil Spector, yeah. he started making all things was passed, and he wanted a percussion player on the track Art of Dying. And Ringo's chauffeur said, oh, I know this guy, you know, Mrs. Collins, this boy. He's a percussion, he's a drummer, you get him along. So Phil Collins was, in, it was hired as the conga player on Art of Dying. And he's not a conga player, and, you know, he's a drummer, and therefore, you know, all day playing congas on this thing, the old fingers are bleeding, and he thought he wasn't doing a very good job. But anyway, he, he said, when the record came out, you know, he rushed out and had a look to see if he was on the credits. There's no mention of him in the credits, and he listened to the track, and he couldn't hear the, the congas. And of course, years later, he meets George Harrison, and he tells them the story. And, uh, and George Harrison, they became quite good pals. I think they were working together. Uh, George Harrison yeah, said, yeah. you know, that's interesting, because I think I've still got the tapes from that recording somewhere. I'll go and dig them out and see if I can find your conga play. And Phil said, because I always really wanted to know who, you know, must have been Phil Spector who just said, that guy isn't good enough, let's sack him. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, a week later, he gets a call from George. He said, I found it. I found it. I'll send it right over now. It's absolutely amazing. We can hear your congas and everything. So he said, he puts it on. And there's our And there, really awkward and quite bad 
are the is the conga part you know very very audible and uh, he listens to this and thinks Christ that is pretty shocking I'm surprised they're not surprised they didn't use it then he hears George Harrison's voice saying uh, can we try it again Phil without the conga guy <laughs> so he thinks oh god so it was George Harrison and he rings up George and he says uh, oh god I listened to the whole thing and I hear your voice at the end and George goes really how embarrassing what did I say and he tells him you know and then just a pause and then George says actually I'll be honest with you he said I dubbed all that on, and I found the tape. I got Ray Cooper in, and I got Ray Cooper to just play really bad congas. And then <laughs> I did one thing at the end, saying, saying uh, oh, let's try it again without the conga guy. <laughs> I thought, that is such a great story. I love the idea that he's put so much effort and energy into this one gag just to amuse himself oh, and, and to stitch up Phil Collins. I thought it was so funny. It's good, isn't it? There must be loads of stories about people um, rushing to to look at albums where they came out to see if they were on them. Yeah, yeah. You know, because they knew they took part in the in the sessions. What's the name of the woman? I'm because you wouldn't have been head. you wouldn't necessarily have been told. You would have been paid the same amount no, whether it was used or just got a session I, I fee. Yeah. I tell you what, the, what is a classic case? And I, I can't find it quickly enough. The woman who sings the uh, wordless oh, vocal the, on oh, Breaking in the Sky by, yeah, by yeah. Dark Side, in Dark Side of the yeah, Moon yeah, yeah. Oh, was hired for a, did a, did a session. Uh, you know, it was a Sunday morning or something like that. Yeah. And she got paid a station fee. Did it first her way. And they said, can you do it again and not use the word baby? That's right. <laughs> Big Floyd. Can you make it, it more miserable? Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, so she did it again and uh, got a got a forty quid or whatever it was. Probably wasn't even that. And uh, and then thought no more about it until she saw Dark on the Moon in a shopping King's Road and went to look on the cover. And there she is. Uh, yeah. There she was uh, with the name. And, and obviously changed her life all over that track. I mean, I completely changed her life. It's phenomenal. Well, then she Makes later it. on she there was a legal there was some kind of legal arrangement so she is co-credited now as a as a composer of that thing and it's probably made a tidy sum of money out of it but you know there must be loads of cases of uh musicians just called in to play a triangle on something and yeah. thinking i wonder if it survived you know and not only has it survived has has uh you know has mine is my name on there because uh, we talked in the past about um maggie may uh rod stewart um that the that starts with the mandolin that's right. intro, doesn't it? And uh and no man is it a mandolin? I can't remember. Yeah, it's a mandolin, I think. Isn't it the John Peel okay. effects to play on top of the pop? And yeah. yes. And uh he, he um the credit just says mandolin played by the bloke from Lindisfarne. I know. Because nobody know. could be bothered to find out. Staggering, really. You know, there is no stage in the completion of that cover. Now, I, I readily accept that the artist may well have just been asked to write on a piece of paper, can you tell me who you'd like to credit on this record? But still, somebody would have looked at the bit of paper before it went onto the, onto the finished album, and somebody would have said, actually, that's Ray Jackson. Shouldn't you put his name yeah, should, on Just there, to be fair, know? for God's sake, you know, it's the least you can do. Unbelievably disrespectful. It's grotesque. It's I know, I know, I know, I know. But uh, so on, on, on eighties related matter, it struck me today because it's thirty-five years since West End Girls, and it, it, it again, I think pretty much this week. Doesn't that make you feel old? Because we were smart and smash hits at the time when it came out. But um, yeah, it struck me. Pet Shop Boys. Just briefly, what a story! Surely the most successful group of that era. Uh, by some margin. I mean, there, is there anyone, any of their contemporaries doing better? No, I can't think of You know, you're in you, you mean in the sense that they've kept George going? Michaels, yeah, just in terms of their legacy, they've kept going. You know, their, 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 their record sales, their streaming. Their last, Pet Shop Boys' last world tour lasted three years. Before, I think, it probably stopped by... Uh, by, by the virus, but, you know, it started in 2017 and lasted for three years at World Tour. They're huge in absolutely every market. What a story. Isn't that amazing? So it just, just goes to prove that the, uh, you know, the last laugh on your the joke that you wrote on the on the cover line given to, when the souvenir issue given to Neil when he left Smash Hits was, what was it, said, 
how I how I went off to start my hopeless pop group. Yeah, and I went down back. the dumper and I came crawling back to ask for my job back again, or whatever it was. You know, it's a really long cover line. I thought it was terribly funny. The, idea the Pet Shop Boys, and we all thought the Pet Shop Boys was a terrible name for a group, as is often the case. If you if you say yeah, my group's going to be called Sansa, without the kind of familiarity of have that name having been around for a while, most names do seem absurd. I can't imagine a group called the Pet Shop Boys. You know. But I know I can. I can still remember Neil in the Pasmashit's office, uh, and I wonder if you were there or had you left by then. He got a, a tape of West End Girls and put I it on. Of course, it, it's effectively got a rap in it. I mean, it's a kind of there's a rap element, and we just couldn't. We sat there feeling quite awkward about the idea. There was Neil Turner attempting to rap, you know. But I did. I, in our in our defence, we did think it was pretty good. And uh, but yeah. <laughs> How wrong I was with my cover. Well, it took, it took a long time to be a hit, didn't it? Because the first it version did. flopped. first version, it? the Bobby O version, didn't do anything at all. came out in 84, and I think. There was re-release, and that, that, that happened in January. I think it was January 1986. So, yeah, 35 years ago. Astonishing. Good God. Makes you think. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. And we're back. Any other business? Uh, joined by Alex Gold. Hello, Alex. We we're talking about marathons, were we? You you got a mate who's done a, a DJing marathon recently, hasn't he? Yeah, someone I work with. It's a guy called DJ EZ, and he's I would describe him as the the John Peel of UK garage in the sense that um, he's very much um, he's always oh, got you know 20, 20, 25 years behind him. Very much respected in the scene. Um, uh, he's uh, he's a radio presenter as well as a DJ. He listens to everything. He's really sort of invested in new talent. Um, he's a really, really good guy and really sort of big hearted as well. And he's just done um, a 24 hour live stream DJ set um, for Mind, the mental health charity. Uh, and it's very How does he do this? How's he been doing it? Has he been sitting there playing records on the internet? He's been standing with, with full lighting and you know full production. All uh, right, okay. So he's uh, in a kind lighting. of booth. He's actually got. He's at the controls. He's, he's doing at that. the it's controls. An actual performance. He's jigging away. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and so this was streamed. You could see him. It was live streamed for twenty four hours straight. Um, and it's worth noting he's completely teetotal as well. So you know, I suppose, and usually in a, in a, in a, in an EDM world, um, there was no sort of uh, stimulant aid. Um, so he was he was up and doing this all the way through, was he? Pretty much, yeah. He finished it fresh oh, as he started. Wow. Which is Do that again, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Yes, I can see it. <laughs> I've seen you DJ a few times. And I've never seen you move. cardboard box. That's right. That's it. <laughs> but but it got me thinking. Are, are there any rock bands that could could or would do that kind of thing? You know, do how, marathon. How, how long could a band last? Oh, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't oh, like to find imagine. out, really, because it would get very dull very quickly. I it would, but, and also it is physical effort the entire time if you're playing yeah. instrument. Putting on a, a, a track doesn't involve any. Uh, it's not a major chore, is it? It's just sure. Well, I don't know because he's, he's a very sort of active mixer as well. So um, he. No, I can see. Oh, okay. As an instrument. Um, so he's cross-fading and, and, and applying all kinds of effects and, and, and segueing. So I, I, I would say a that... Band, a bandwidth flag, you see, a bandwidth flag. And I, and I have to say, I would be profoundly against it mm. because my, my complaint about most bands is they go on too long. And so anything that encourages them to go on a long time, I'm not, not so sure about. There have been many marathons, though. That there were, I've got a T-shirt somewhere for, um, from a, an American radio station in the early 80s, I think in the Midwest somewhere, who used to do a thing where they used to just play Louis or Louis for as long as they possibly could. Oh, as that, many was a, that was college radio, many, wasn't it? KFJC, yeah. Oh, is it? Is it? Yeah. As many different versions as of Louis Louis as they could, you know, as they could get going around the clock, you know, which was uh, which is kind of an interesting challenge. But also, the uh, it made it made me think about the, the not that I remember them clearly. The dance marathons of the uh, of the twenties and thirties, which were a huge thing in America, immortalized the, in uh, they the shoot horses, depression. don't they? Yeah, and they shoot horses, don't they? Yeah, where basically young people with no money and no prospects, and you know, would dance pretty much for food. You know, wow. would keep going as long as they possibly could. That movie's uh, a heartbreaker, isn't it? You remember the scene I'm at the end where the 
there's these couples dancing. They're kind of taking it in turns to sleep. One would be standing up, the other would be standing yeah. on the other one's feet and sort of with their arms around them and kind of be asleep, you know. They were, they were eventually outlawed as a phenomenon in loads of parts of the United States. They wouldn't let them do them anymore because they were just... You know, cruel. Cruel. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, Exploited. Inhuman and so forth. But, uh, but obviously none of that applies to your, your mate, DJ. Well, DJ EZ is that, and best of yeah. luck to him. Yeah, know, doing, that's doing really his good. Work, but doing his work for mental health. But uh, but if anybody knows of any other interesting marathon initiatives, well, you get in touch. Let us know. What's the email if people want to get in touch, Alex? It is wiye dot london at gmail dot com. Rolls off the tongue, don't it? Oh. That email address. <laughs> do it. Do it again, Alex. Do it again. wiye dot london at gmail.com okay now tell me alex you're a musician do you hold to the view that only musician that anybody who's going to criticize music in print or whatever ought to be a musician or they ought to know about being a musician do you think that's true or not uh, you know what i used to think this with a passion when i was when i was in my <laughs> 20s um but i was stupid in my 20s and uh, i've come to the conclusion <laughs> that no no you don't because <laughs> well because that was the house let's say that was the house rule at melody maker in the 1970s oh, God, wasn't it, it? Was. do you remember you, you melody maker they were you could not be hired as a writer as a critic unless you were a musician because you had to understand the whole notion of songwriting and performance and you know and did that apply all the way through through the seventies? Well, it must have applied till certainly mid to mid seventies, seventy seven, somewhere around there. I think punk I'd rock had come that, you know, Oh yeah, I'd absolutely. Which is, that. of course, an absolutely ludicrous suggestion. <laughs> it's ludicrous. You're, you're not you're not reviewing well, things for the sake of musicians. You're suppose, reviewing them for the sake of listening to records. You could see why they might do that on the Melody Maker because it always had a kind of music trade. Back well, it was based you on their kind of jazz trade. tradition. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the readers would be people who played in. Yeah, yeah. You know, going back to the forties and fifties, I suppose. Um, but it wouldn't hold good going forward. Now, the reason I asked that is that um, this uh, question has come up again in the last week uh, because of a spat between Variety, the movie trade magazine, and Kerry Mulligan, the actress. I don't know if you followed this, Alex. That uh, it's a it's a slightly it's a complicated story because she appears. In a, in a movie, uh, what's it called? Promising young woman. Promising young woman. And and, uh, and the review in Variety, which is quite words carefully chosen, I felt. But she obviously took against it. She obviously felt that the uh, the, the reviewer was suggesting the most terrible thing that can ever be suggested about an actress, which is she's not hot enough. You know, because hotness is the currency in Hollywood. They may not talk about it, but hotness is the currency. Anyway, and uh, Variety, you know, cravenly, in my opinion, apologised, which I just think is absolutely stupid thing to do. And then that led to the usual debate about should people who reviewed films know a bit more about what's involved in acting and the technicalities and so forth? And, you know, I, I entirely agree with you, Alex, although albeit come from coming from totally different side of the fence. No, I don't think you need to be aware of any of those things at all. In fact, I think it's very often worse if you get writers who pretend to understand that stuff. Which I think film writers as a breed. Film writers do it all the time. Really film guilty say, of. And then in the third act, you find so-and-so and you think, oh, for God's they, sake. And they're just showing off that they kind of happen to know a script writer, and the script writer uses these yes. technical <laughs> phrases, and they just want to sound like they're they're kind of down with the whole way films are constructed. That's not the point. It doesn't matter. In fact, I think I agree with you. I think it gets in the way. Because, you know, you've got to represent the person who's just going to the cinema or just watching the movie. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, um, surely, you know, limiting uh, uh, critique to, to only sort of qualified inf individuals, if you like, um, that completely negates the concept of fandom. And but also, that, you, you get some really boring writing. Yeah, you know, Because yeah. critics have got to be good at two things. And it's, and it's really hard to do it well. Not that I've ever done it well. You know, you might do it well quite occasionally. Um, 
you've got to be good at two things. One is listening or watching or reading, whichever is the you know, appropriate way that you interact. And the other is writing. You know, and it's those two things. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's working out to go from what you've heard to what you write, which is really hard to do. And I've read musicians, you know, and this doesn't apply to all musicians because some musicians are very good at this. A tiny minority of these, a bit of Donald Fagan. Donald like Fagan, I was going to say Donald Fagan. Really good at it. Yeah. Really good at it. But the overwhelming majority of musicians are terrible at it because... A, they want to be really generous to other musicians because they're part of the same Freemasonry. And B, they're really pedestrian writers. Mm. You, know, you, you know, the average review you get sent by somebody who thinks, I could write a review, just proves straight away they couldn't write a review, you know, because it just, it's just so slow. You know, it's got no, it's got no flavour to it. It's, it's got no amusement to it or whatever. It's, it's got the feeling of a of a school essay, which is, is what most what most people provide when asked to do a review. And the They're hardest thing about school. writing about music is that music is abstract. You know, what, what you tend yeah, to do yeah. is write about something you can yeah. visualize or see. That's it, why it, most music is about what, what groups look like and what yeah. and what what performances look like, because it's so much easier than trying to describe what they sound like. I think it's not yeah, a, yeah. it's not a binary concept. There is no right or wrong. There are so many different ways of appreciating stuff. And I, I kind yeah. of um, I suppose I naturally go along with with, with the word attitude to crit criticism in that you know it's uh, there are many ways to appreciate something and 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 the and the object of crit uh, of of, uh, of critique should be to um, to articulate a way your, a particular way of appreciating something rather than focusing on something which you think is or bad. it's a way it's a way of listening to something you know yeah, yeah. Um, because also the sad truth and we've said this many times on these podcasts. Is the great the, the most honest response to all to ninety nine percent of records is it's all right if you yeah, like it's okay. kind of thing yeah if it's if this is your it's bag okay. it's three stars isn't it three stars is the classic review it's fine it's perfectly it fine is. but you also also once you start playing an instrument you never listen to music the same way again there will always be a portion of your brain that's dedicated absolutely to analysing it in in a technical way and yeah. reviews aren't written for people in the industry. You know, reviews are written for people who listen to music and enjoy it. And and you have to be able to write from that pure perspective and not from um, not from your kind of tarnished technical yeah. point of view. It, it, it skews the whole thing. And, it's, and it sucks and, the joy out of it, I think. Anyway, variety, going back to Variety's hmm. craven apology, <laughs> you know, um, which it talked about the insensitive language and insinuation in our review that uh, a promising young woman that minimized her, minimized daring, her daring performance daring yeah. oh come on it's acting yeah they're, 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 i'm sorry they're, 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 we've got there are enough examples out in the world at the moment of things that are genuinely daring you know turning up uh, to, to make a film is not one of them at all is it <laughs> and uh <laughs> well is it really no, well, I think they meant daring by the the nature of the of the of the of the, of the plot itself, wasn't it? But I mean, you know, you're well, absolutely right. It's it's that it's the the nature of that film. It's but, a uh, plot. It's not life. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not uh, real life. And um, but have you ever, Mark Ellen? You've edited loads of magazines. How often have you apologised in your professional? I would say career? never. Have you? There you go. Never. You, have you ever apologised for a review? Never. Never. Have you ever had people complain about reviews? Lots of times. Oh, loads of times, you yeah, yeah. You don't apologise. But I always say the same thing, is that I'm not writing reviews for you. I'm writing them on behalf of the, uh, you know, um, the readership. And we're trying to defend yeah. these people against the possibility of wasting money on a, on a fantastically bad film or record, or which we think is a yeah, total and utter yeah. disaster. Consumer but, protection. You know, but I, I, thought, I thought this just illustrates... How weak, how how much weaker the kind of great engines well, of Dave, the so-called Rolling mainstream Stone mainstream media are. Rolling Stone have just have just on. announced, haven't they, that they are offering a deal whereby you can be—is it a, a, a to be a thought, a thought leader? Thought leader. Yeah, if you want to be a thought leader and be published by Rolling Stone, then you're being invited to pay 
I think it is $2,000. So if you if you want to see your stuff effectively published by and endorsed by Rolling Stone, it's going to cost you. Uh, that is the most massive reversal of the old situation, which is in the old days, you would be paid, obviously, if they thought your thing was good enough and worth promoting, you'd be paid to, for them to publish it. So um, yeah. that's yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's slightly dispiriting, let's be honest. Boy, Yam went, must sit there and think, I should have sold this magazine in the 90s. He would have walked away with so much money. So much money, but it's just very hard to say no, isn't it? Faced with the idea that it could just get better. And also, you like doing it. It's like Tony Elliott and Time Out. You just yeah. like being involved, you know. I'm trying yeah. to visualise what a thought leader would do. I mean, would they just, you know, sit in, sit in a chair and ponder things? You know, what do you... What, well, what, what I, I, I think it's I probably think. on their website. I, I think it's probably not even in the pages of the of the magazine. Not not that many people see the pages. Well, it's like a rather grand version of saying you're an influencer, isn't it? You know, it yeah. sounds, an old influencer is yeah. somebody who posts an opinion that some people appear to be... Uh, to find suggestible, you know. I think you could change the definition of influence in 2021 to a person who takes photographs who goes on holiday to Dubai in a pandemic. Yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. Person, definition of influencer: person stuck in Dubai. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so any other uh, business? Have, uh, have we got any other business this week, Alex? That we've got we some new patrons. We have a load of new patrons. Uh, Terrific! Come on, good. lovely. Um, so I'm going to read off the uh, the annual patrons first. Of course, if you subscribe oh, annually, right. you get a 15% discount um, in your subscription. Right. Uh, and we have Paul Barnes, uh, Mark Thank Jamieson, you, Adrian Hello, Sykes. Mark. Very good. Step aboard. Jess Adams. We have a whistle to pipe them. We should be here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a naval whistle. We, we want a klaxon, don't we? Honk! <laughs> can we make a... Is there's probably an electronic sound you can find on your computer just goes honk! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Carry on. Uh, and Sorry? finally, Andrew Kenyon. Excellent. Yay! Yeah, that's good. That's okay. good. And, that, and we also have uh, Glenn Crouch. Where's yep, the tambo, Dave? Nigel Parkinson. Lloyd Shepherd. Superb. Richard Siddle, Paul Gregory, Howling Dick. Howling Dick. Well, Howling Dick Good comes great. to our quizzes. We've seen Howling Dick in the quiz. Have, yeah. oh, very welcome, he is too. Uh, Richard Jones, Gareth Race, Ivan Scheel, Deborah Willimotts, Mark Warner. <laughs> Steve Brennan and Tim Ward. So welcome. Fantastic. Oh, oh, that's well, brilliant. Welcome all. I've just and been looking around uh, for a rhythm instrument. I thought I normally have one here, but I wasn't able to join in with your bells, Dave. But that, we applaud uh, all of them. They're very welcome. Fantastic. Absolutely very welcome. And I uh, hope that they'll be joining us in, in, the, in the quiz next uh, Friday evening. Um, six o'clock uh, is where we gather prior to the weekend. Indeed. And we attempt to torment you with the identity of popular music singing stars um and uh, you can also obviously see our word in your attics which we've been continuing to do if you haven't if you haven't seen paul conroy's which is out there now i do heartily recommend it particularly for anybody who misses the kind of pungent aroma of patchouli oil and it the feeling very... of being it's peculiar around the damp great around us on a Sunday evening and uh, and looking at old copies of Zigzag and wondering whatever happened to you know Daryl Wales Ways Wolf or Chili Willy in the Red Hot Peppers. <laughs> Paul Conroy, who's yeah, Paul, who um we'd known for a long time, but Paul was one of those guys who started in the music business as a social secretary at a college and booked Led Zeppelin when they were still called the New Yardbirds and went through to, to working with the Spice Girls and all sorts in the in the 90s and, and beyond. Immensely amusing. It is and, very amusing. Uh, and another one I'd recommend is a Samira Ahmed's one, which is still, yes. still getting people still tweeting about it. She's still tweeting about it regularly, yeah. saying how much she yeah. enjoyed it and how she's now says she wants to do it again because she forgot to show us some, come on, what is yeah, it, a Howard Jones tea towel or something, or something that she'd forgotten. 
Well, we're, as lockdown heads for, or pandemic heads for its first anniversary, we're actually possibly going to revisit some of our earlier Isn't word yeah. in your ear. Wouldn't that be a, a, a paniversary? <laughs> a paniversary. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, maybe we should revisit some people so they'll be able to uh, uh, bring us up to date with stuff that they forgot to show us uh, before. Uh, what else have we got in the next week? We're talking to John, Jonathan Coe next week. we got Jonathan Coe. We've uh, got famous novelist. Yeah, we've got Charlie Higson coming up. We've got all sorts we of got people. we got Charlie Higson. We had Simon Day in the last week. Was that last week? I think it was. They're all there. Uh, but there's only one way to make sure you get all of this stuff. And you get it first. And you get it in full and living colour and so forth. And that's to be a supporter on Patreon. And uh, the place to find out all about that is patreon.com slash word in your ear. And there's all kinds of different ways that you could be involved. And, uh, and if you, you know, if you go for the full fat package, you get the dubious pleasure of Mark Ellen and I dropping in on you <laughs> digitally on the occasion of your birthday. And Which is very good fun. It's, it's a kind of, yes, yeah, your own personal word in your attitude. You can dig out all your old things that have all your old mementos and rock records yeah we had we had a very good one this week didn't we um, fantastic uh with kevin, with kevin rose kevin rose who's uh who happened to have the only the only copy of uh you know on a pretty much un unopened copy of the beatles let it be terrific the only copy that i've seen in a long long time his 10 year old son made a little cameo appearance at one point it's very touching <laughs> yes Sweet. The story of how Kevin came to have that record is is interesting in itself. So those are all there in the Patreon section, patreon.com slash word in your ear. Anything else to add, gentlemen? I think that's it. Sign off? It's been a okay. pleasure. It's Indeed. been a pleasure. See you next week. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 